Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Greg Dickerson. Thanks for being on the show, Greg. Hey, Whitney. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Good to talk to you again. Good to see you. Yeah, you as well. Great to have you back on the show. I encourage a listener to go back and listen to an earlier episode with Greg. Probably, I, I didn't get the show number down in time, but probably at least a year ago, or, or, or we were determined maybe a year and a half ago. I'm not sure now, but uh, you're on 468 right now? 488. 488. Yeah. 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 But Greg, thank you again. I mean, you're definitely an expert in this space and we're, we're happy to have you on the show. And, uh, but a little about Greg, in case you missed the earlier episode, he's bought and developed and sold over $200 million in real estate, built and remodeled hundreds of custom homes, commercial buildings, and started 12 different companies from the ground up. He's an expert on the topic of real estate and construction and has been a guest commentator on the Fox Business Network with Neil, how do you say that name? Yeah, Neil Cavuto. Cavuto <laughs> and Dave Ramsey, written articles for magazines and newspapers and is a featured contributor in the book Walking with the Wise Real Estate Investor and Walking with the Wise Entrepreneur featuring Donald Trump, Susie Orman, Rachel Barnes, and others. Greg, thank you again for your time. Why don't you give us an update of you know what you have going on right now? Let's dive into your superpower. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I've got a lot going on. I have projects going on all over the country that I'm working on, working on with people. So I do coaching and mentoring. So I have people all over the country, and you know, I'll get involved with deals with them and businesses as well. So I do real estate development, investment, and I do equity capital. So we buy companies, fix them up, sell them, or we roll companies up. So it's a value add company play instead of real estate. So those are the two things I do. And I'm all over the country with those, but I do have clients all over the world. So, you know, I've gone international since the last time we talked with the coaching and mentoring and, but all of my deals are primarily in the United States right now. I haven't, I have not done deals outside the United States yet. I'm sure that's in the future. I don't doubt it for, I don't doubt it a bit. Yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. I'd, you know, I'd love to travel and, you know, so that that's definitely something I'm thinking about, but it's different. You got to be careful, you know, when you start doing stuff outside the country. So, you know, Greg, with your experience and especially with doing, uh, you know, deals in a lot of different places and just as long as you've been doing this, I, I would love to kind of hear your your take on the current market and what, you know, your thoughts are on kind of what's happening and, and where you see going, you know, over the next year or two. Yeah, we're definitely at a peak in all asset classes. Now, a lot of people confuse type and class when they're talking about real estate. So asset classes are real estate is an asset class. You have cash, you have stocks, and you have bonds. Within real estate as an asset class, there are types of real estate. You have commercial and you have residential. In commercial, there are six main types. You have office, retail, multifamily, industrial, hospitality, and land. So within those types, you have subclasses and subtypes and you have classes A, B, C, D. So right now, pretty much all across the board, we are seeing, you know, we're maxed out. We're at a peak all across the board, all asset classes, cash, bonds, equities, Everything is at a peak right now. Real estate, all the different types and all the different classes and all the different types have kind of maxed out because interest rates are so low. You know, this economy, we are strictly interest rate driven. You know, what I see is I see a bomb about to burst in the equities market like we saw in 2009 with real estate. I think that's where our big issue is right now that you really got to keep an eye on. 
interest rates are key for all of us in real estate. You know, that's what's making these deals work. When the cap rates compressed like they have, you know, you're seeing fours and fives. You're lucky to find a six anymore. What's making that work is interest only, you know, three and three quarters to 4%. So you really got to watch those interest rates and you really got to be ready and be careful and be nimble, you know, to adjust. The price you pay for an asset's permanent. The debt is temporary. The financing's temporary. So you can restructure, you can reorganize and you can rearrange the financing, but whatever you pay for that asset, you're stuck with that. You ain't getting out of it. So that goes both ways, right? It can be good on the bottom. It can be bad on the top. So what I tell everybody is the most important thing to know is the top. Everybody says you make your money when you buy. Yeah, that's great. But if you don't get out at the right time, you haven't made any money. So you really need to be careful. You need to make sure that you're really thoroughly understanding the properties that you're looking at and underwriting, breaking the metrics down at the door level and paying attention to insurance. Insurance costs are up and they're catching a lot of people off guard. Taxes are readjusting when you purchase an asset that catches people off guard utilities. So utilities companies in different areas are pushing for rate increases because they haven't had them in a number of years. And the winters and all the storms that we've had, their costs have gone up and fuel costs. You know, So just as you're underwriting deals, just watch those metrics. But right now, I feel like we are at a, we're, we're at the top. Cap rates are about as low as they've ever been. Interest rates are very low. So it's all relative. When we were buying seven and eight caps, interest rates were five and six. Now we're buying four and five caps, interest rates are three and four. So to a degree, it's all relative, right? So you just got to figure out what lane you're going to stay in, what your strategy is. Are you a fee-based asset manager banking on, not banking on, but you know, you're in more of a long-term debt reduction principle buildup play. Is that your business model? Or are you a value add where you have to get out on the back end? You need to understand that that reversion cap rate needs to be higher than you're going in cap rate. So you got to take that into account. Is there room there? So you just got to figure out your business model, figure out your business plan, stay disciplined and stick with it and watch those interest rates. Okay. I was trying to take so many notes right there, Greg. That was good. That was good stuff. I hope the listener is paying attention. You got um, it recorded. So that's right. You can go back, <laughs> hit the back button. So that's no, awesome. But you know, you, you mentioned, I'll just, we'll go through a couple points there that you had highlighted, but like, you know, talking about being an equities market, there's, there's fixing to be a, a boom there, there a bomb in there. You were talking about, you know, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like a listener that says, oh, wait a minute, oh, you know, what, what's he talking about? Uh, you know, equities market. What, what does that mean? That's stocks. So equities are stocks. So right now, all of the uh, indexes are at all time highs, right? The Dow Jones, the S&P, the NASDAQ, everything all, all around the world. It's they're just maxed out right now. And it's because of the monetative e monetary easing that we've seen in the Fed's balance sheet and the government's pumping, you know, money into our economy, buying our debt that has artificially inflated the price of that asset equity. So a lot of the sovereign wealth funds, institutional funds, foreign wealth funds are going into the equities market and it, they're moving big dollars. So it's a bit, it's a big game. A lot of the hedge funds are in there and the values of these companies just do not make sense. Everybody will tell you all, you know, you listen to CNBC and you watch all the smartest people in the world that do this every day. And I'm not a stock guy. I just know market fundamentals, right? And when everybody's in, that's when you need to be going the other way. And if you watch Warren Buffett, who is our greatest investor of all time, who's never changed his strategy his entire career, he's going to cash and he's waiting. You know, so he's going to, just like he did in 2009, he's going to jump in when things start going south. And, you know, he tells the story of getting a phone call. Like people say, why are you cash? He said, you know, hey, I got a call the other day. Somebody needed $50 billion by Monday. I was the only guy they could call. He said, so when you have cash, you get phone calls like that. So watch Warren Buffett, watch interest rates. And I think, you know, the markets are maxed out. 
Can they go any further from here? I, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I do know they can always come back. I'm not a bear market guy. I'm not a doomsday sayer. I'm just saying be careful and watch out because yeah. it feels like we've maxed out. It feels like we've hit the ceiling. The, the markets have tried to push and, and reach that breaking point and uh, they haven't been able to push past it and keep going on the upside. Every time we break that ceiling, it pulls back. So that's kind of telling you that there's a limit right there and good times never last bad times never last. And bull markets, you know, always pull back. They always pair off. And we've got a lot going on, you know, with this whole epidemic that we're facing with the coronavirus, that's really affecting the economy. A lot of people are predicting a mild recession because of it, depending on how bad it gets. I, you know, I don't know if it's that serious, but it's, it's pretty serious. But at the end of the day, a company is worth the income that it can produce. And we're seeing a lot of pressure right now in earnings reports on a lot of companies that aren't as healthy as they have reported and that we have thought they were. So just keep an eye on those things and, and be careful if you're in the stock market. So you also mentioned like, like interest only debt right now is how a lot of investors are, are able to do deals yeah. right now, right? And make it happen. You know, is that something we should be scared of? Yes. That's what caught a lot of people off guard in pre-2009 was the interest only LIBOR loans that we were all getting for commercial and residential real estate. You know, that LIBOR is like same debt. as bridge, right? Yeah, yeah. It's well, LIBOR is London index bank rate, so it's always right, a little bit lower right. than the Fed rate. So they were basing loan rates on that. But yeah, that was in short-term bridge type debt. Typically it's interest only, so you're not paying down any principal. Your payments are cheaper, so your cash flow is inflated, you know, or you, you have a, a bigger yield on your cash flow because you're not paying principal. But you know, again, you're not paying down any principal. There's not a lot of cash flow left at the end of the day. I mean, if you're buying a five cap and you're getting three and three quarter interest, by the time you put your reserves away pay all the bills, there's no money left over. You're going to break even and you're not reducing the principal. So that's a dangerous place to be in because you're banking on appreciation. You're banking on being able to add value, raise rents, things like that. The other thing I'll caution people is make sure you understand that you're not always going to be able to raise rents exponentially. There used to, a lot of people were saying, hey, rents double every 10 years. You know, that's just not the case. Rents have not doubled in the last 10 years and they may have prior to that, but we, we've seen them increase but we're kind of reaching a threshold now where, you know, people can only go so far. There's only so much they can spend because incomes have not grown exponentially in relation to rents. And somebody put out a chart the other day that showed where rents are right here and incomes are right here. You know, they've been flat as flat. rental rates have shot through the roof. So there's going to reach, you're going to reach a point of pushback and a point of diminishing returns where you can no longer increase rents. So if your whole business plan is based on, I know I can increase rents exponentially, so many, you know, you might be able to get a year or two, you might be able to, depending on the asset, if you're $1,500 a month apartment, you might be able to squeeze another hundred out of it. But if you're an $800 a month apartment, you know, renter, that hundred dollars means a whole lot more to you than the $1,500 guy. So you got to understand what your assets are, who your renters are, what those increases mean to them, and what are their choices? If I'm renting an apartment for 800 to a thousand bucks a month, and you want to raise my rent a hundred dollars, and I can go, you know, a block away and get two or three months free rent. I can get a U-Haul for a hundred bucks to move myself. So that's what you got to watch out for. And just be careful. I'm not like negative or anything like that. I'm just saying sure. these are the things you need to think about when you're looking at these aggressive deals right now. So you mentioned you mentioned earlier also about this reversion cap rate. And of course, we talk about that that term and you know that a lot in in the business and especially analyzing deals or investors always ask you know about the cap rate or going in cap the exit cap. Uh, you know, could you elaborate a little bit? Or what, what is the reversion cap rate? If a listener is saying, well, what's what in the world is he talking about? But what is that? So reversion, like you said, that's your exit cap rate. So when you buy a property, 
at a five cap to assume that you're going to be able to sell it for lower than that down the road when you exit that property at reversion, when you fulfilled your business plan is unrealistic. Generally, you need to figure you're going to be a, a point or two higher cap rate than you bought it at. You know, the cap rates are going to re increase, not lower or stay the same. Now, granted, if you look back five years, they've gone down. But, you know, the prudent investor has to assume cap rates are going to go up, interest rates are going to increase, and the property is going to be trading because it's older and uh, it may be less desirable depending on where the market stands and new supply in the market, things like that. So you always need to be responsible in your underwriting and assume conservatively that the property is not going to trade at a, as low a cap rate today as you're going to sell it for five years from now. So when you say a, a point or two higher, what does that mean? So, you know, if you're buying a five cap right now, you need to assume you're going to sell at a seven cap. Now you've increased the income and hopefully you've uh, become more efficient in your operations so that, you know, at the end of the day, it's not always rent increases. You want to increase the income. So that can be done through operational efficiencies. It can be done through other residual income centers throughout the property, laundromat, cell towers, billboards, other things that you can leverage to generate income off of that property, not always just rent. So you want to enhance the income. So that ultimately drives the value. So even if you have a 1% or 2% higher cap rate at the back end at reversion, when you exit the property, you still have good upside and profit in the deal because you've increased the overall value. Yeah. And you, know, you mentioned too a minute ago, like your property is going to be older when you sell it. I feel like if you're already buying a property that was built in the fifties, you know, five years from now, I mean, it's, it's still built in the fifties. It's still, it's going to be five years older and it's not accounted for sometimes. Well, I had somebody today I was talking to and they said, so, you know, so class B they're saying, so anything built, you know, 90, 95, I'm like, no, this is 2020. If you need something in the two thousands, to stay in class B and actually mid 2000s. I mean, that's 15 years old at this point, right? Right. So it's, you know, a lot of those ABC rules haven't been updated, you know, because it's years back, but a lot of people aren't connecting those dots. And like you said, thinking about something that was built in the 50s, time goes by quick. So we're in, it's 2020. So you need to be looking for value add, you know, in, in the 2000s now. <laughs> Sometimes it's just hard to feel like it's 2020. I still feel like it's year 2000. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Greg, anything else as far as the way people, you know, clients of yours or other people in the industry that you know that are looking at the market that, that kind of scares you? You know, the prices that some people are paying are aggressive. So what's happening out there that you need to understand if you're looking at a lot of these deals and they're not making sense and you're seeing them get, you know, get closed and get done, understand that there's a lot of 1031 buyers out there that are selling assets that they were in five and 10 years ago. So they're, 10, they're doing a 1031. They're going to pay a little bit more. They're going to be a little bit more aggressive. So that's some of the buyers. Some of the other buyers are buying more on a yield and, and a principal play, pay down play, like I said. So they're looking at, hey, I don't mind paying a little bit more now. It's a good asset. I've got a nice little yield. Maybe I'm going to make 3% cash on cash or 10% or 5% cash on cash. And I'm paying principal down. So in 20 years, I'm going to own this property free and clear. Some people have that kind of a long-term outlook on these aggressively priced, well-located class, you know, A, core, core plus assets. So you're, you know, that's what's going on there. So I wouldn't get caught up in trying to figure out, man, why are these deals getting done? How are they doing those deals? Just stay in your lane, figure out what works for you and your investors. Don't get distracted by what everybody else is doing. Don't get pulled into thinking you got to do a deal just to be doing a deal. Have your plan. And, you know, it's an aggressive market right now. So there's nothing wrong with having a fee-based principal pay down business plan where 
you earn an acquisition fee, you earn an asset management fee, which just covers your overhead. Then you've got an exit fee when you refinance and or sell that asset. And along the way, you're reducing principal, which is going to build equity in the property versus adding value and increasing the value so much. Hopefully, you can increase the efficiencies a little bit through a portfolio play. If you've got a number of assets, you can find economies of scale to reduce operational expenses. Then you've got a package of product that the bigger funds are now interested in, right? So it's kind of like the Warren Buffett problem. He's got so much money, he has a hard time finding big enough deals to do. Same thing with institutional investors. They're not dumb, but they do have a lot of money. So they can't move 10, 20, $50 million. They need to move three, 500, a billion dollars. So if you're collecting the right kind of assets, core and core plus, you're earning fees along the way to pay the bills and you're paying down some principal, if you put together a nice three, four, $500 million package to a billion dollar package, that's very attractive to some of these funds that are looking for yield. So that can be your exit. like that. Yes. So uh, you mentioned core and core plus. What, what, what is that? So core is stabilized class A, B plus type assets, you know, in primary, secondary markets. Core plus has a little bit of upside. It's above value add. It's a newer product. It's going to be, you know, A minus, B, B minus in that range. Again, primary, secondary markets, sometimes tertiary markets if you have a major university or something like that that's driving those plays. So the difference really is, you know, what you have is you have distressed, you know, opportunistic distress, then you have value add and you have core plus step up and then you have core, which is done. And it's usually newer, nicer, new construction. You know, a lot of people will, will equate core with class A. It doesn't always have to be class A. It just needs to be stabilized, nice, where there's really no value add. That's already been done. You know, you and I briefly talked about this before we started recording it, but like you see more developing happening now just because of the difficulty of finding deals. Is that right? That and supply. So there's not a lot of properties out there and there's a lot of demand for units in a lot of markets still. I mean, when you look at a national average, believe it or not, we're still undersupplied in housing units. So that can make development attractive. A lot of people are going with that model. That's a long-term play. You just need to be prepared for a five-year haul and zero income for the first two to three years. Because it's going to take you, you know, a couple of years to get it approved, get it mostly built to built, leased up, depending on the size of it. Smaller properties, you can lease up quicker than bigger properties, you know, to stabilize. So that's going to be a three to five-year play, kind of like a value add, but um, those are a lot of fun too. So a lot more people are getting into development, especially smaller mixed use deals. So you can do, you know, a nice 20, 30 unit, three to $5 million building here or there that fit in very nicely in different areas and different demographics. Those are great little assets that are easy to lease up. They're quicker. You can get them done in a couple of years. And there's a good market for them at the back end. What's your thoughts on the types of debt that are, I know we talked about a little bit about debt, but, I, but like specifically say, you know, bridge debt right now, like your thoughts about the types of deals that people are using bridge debt for, or, or, you know, should we be running from bridge debt? No, no, I think it's fine. So again, on the new construction, that's the other thing. So HUD has a program, 40 years, non-recourse, 95%. Freddie and Fannie have good construction loan products as well, that they'll give you, I think, you know, some high loan to cost on those deals with long-term non-recourse. So there's some really good construction debt out there. Bridge debt is often used for the construction portion and then it gets converted to that permanent on the back end. But I think what a lot of people are doing is doing bridge debt with maybe a supplemental loan on the back end to do the value add portions portion reimbursement so they don't have to do a complete refinance at the back end. So those can be really nice, attractive products. There's also floating rate loans where you can adjust that rate every so often without penalties or without a full refinance. So I think those are fine. 
I don't see the difference between now and 2009. I don't see any catalyst where interest rates are going to increase. Okay. The Fed is talking about holding rates. They want to see some inflation, which you can't raise interest rates to create inflation. The rates have to stay low to create inflation. They want to see 2% inflation. The only way to do that is to hold rates or lower them. The Fed is talking about holding rates and potentially lowering if they have to. So what's really cool for where the space we're in in real estate is if the market does have an issue or if things do start to go south, the Fed's going to cut rates. So that's even better for real estate investors. You know, so that's what you really want to watch those rates because we could be looking at, you know, two and three quarters a year from now, you know, six months from now. I just don't see any catalyst for interest rates to raise exponentially anytime in the near future. And the Fed doesn't either. You know, they just don't have that in the horizon. We can see inflation, but they're going to hold that in check with keeping the rates low. Well, unfortunately, we're almost out of time, but we have just a few more quick questions for you, Greg. What's a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours? You know, for me, just constantly pouring into myself, developing myself, educating myself. So I improve everything I do through educating myself. I read constantly. I listen to things constantly. I study the markets. I watch CNBC. I listen to what's going on outside of my industry. So you got to be in tune with what's going on around you to really be effective in your industry. You know, as far as my business model goes, you know, I'm pretty consistent. I do the same things. I'm, I'm, you know, my superpower, we talked about that. I'm a delegator. I'm a leader, motivator, delegator. So, you know, I turn things over to other people so that I have the time to be at the high level and be the visionary, be the creator of the enterprise that I'm in charge of that I've been blessed with. So, you know, for me, it's just that constant enhancement of my own mental capacity and vision. Are there any other ways that you're educating yourself or staying on top of the market? Yeah, just reading, you know, reading, watching, learning, talking to other people. I know you mentioned like watching CNBC. I didn't know if there's anything else. Yeah, CNBC is, you know, for, for the financial markets, you know, there's obviously Bloomberg, the national news. So I watch both sides of the news. I kind of keep up with what's going on politically and things like that as well. So I do watch the news regularly. I'm not like obsessed about it, but I watch the evening news and I watch a little bit of Fox and I watch a little bit of CNBC, a little bit of Bloomberg. And then I talk to people in the business. So I have friends that are on Wall Street that are with the big investment banks, with Goldman, with BlackRock, with Solomon Brothers, and, and you know people that have been in those firms that are in that world. So I talk to them all the time, much smarter than me, much more sophisticated that have been in the thick of it. One guy I'm having lunch with next week worked at Lehman Brothers when they were going down, you know, and now he's buying mobile home parks and storage facilities. So, so I just try to talk to as many people as I can, people like you, people that are in industry out there doing things and just try to listen and learn. And believe it or not, I know I talk a lot here, but that's the purpose. When I'm talking to an individual, I'm asking questions, asking good questions, seeking knowledge and wisdom and listening. And that's what I get to do every day. Yeah, that's a lot of fun, isn't it? <laughs> it is. So, so Greg, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success other than asking good questions? You know, being a seeker of wisdom, seeking to help other people, trying to be of service to other people. I've learned everything that you do in life is all about serving others. So when you seek to understand the other person first, seek to serve them first then everything else takes care of itself. And how do you like to give back? You know, I've got an education company. I'm really focused on that right now. I've created the MBA level education for the everyday entrepreneur. So I'm really focused on giving back and helping as many people as I can by sharing my 23 years of mistakes as well as success. Yeah, I'm involved in a lot of ministry efforts in and around the country and the world. I support a lot of different charities, both Christian organizations as well as in, you know, non nonprofits and community organizations and associations. So I'm just a giver, man. That's another superpower. I just, I was born with that. My parents were always like, you're the guy that would give anybody the shirt off your back. And I'm like, well, you know, just how I was born. 
That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that, Greg. I know you've, you've shared a, a lots of wisdom with myself and the listeners today. Uh, it's an honor to have you back on the show and get to know you even a little better. Uh, yeah. Tell them how they can get in touch with you. Yep. So gregdickerson.com is my website. Everything's on there. All my social media, YouTube channel. I've got a YouTube channel that I put out videos every day, short, quick, just meaty, you know, how to do this, how to do that. What to, you know, what we just talked about in little minute two minute bite sized pieces. So I do that every day and I'm on all of the social media platforms. So you can find it all there. GregDickerson.com. Awesome, Greg. That's a wrap. Yeah, man. Cool. That was fun. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.